August 18, 2002. Since I found out on Thursday, I can't stop crying. I've been snapping at my parents. I can't deal with it. The summer before my senior year had felt so easy. No worrying about college applications, no studying for exams. When I wasn't at the beach or taking the train to the city, I was blasting classic rock in the car with my friends. Most of us were working together at the Oak Falls Club, the country club in the wealthiest part of town. We were working, but mostly spent our days drinking at the beachfront snack bar. I was saving money and hanging out with my friends all the time. I truly felt carefree for the first time ever. But then something happened. Something that had me facing emotions I'd never dealt with before. I'm Laura Lee Abbey, and you're listening to Seventeen Conversations with My Teenage Self. Daddy and I drove by where the accident happened. That's my mom, Irene.、Um, I don't know why, but we wanted to say it. August fifteenth, two thousand two. Today I called my mom from work to ask her a question, and I was shocked with the news that my cousin Wayne is dead. He died last night in a car crash. Needless to say, it was a long day at work. I kept crying. Wayne was only 23 years old. It felt like a huge age gap at the time. Only now I can truly comprehend how tragically young he was. After my mom told me, I was in a daze the rest of the day. I didn't leave work after that phone call, but I kept hiding in the bridal room to cry. I think I immediately understood that there was no protocol for this. My boss wouldn't care that my cousin was dead. He had a 200-person event to cook for. When he found me leaning against the kitchen counter later that afternoon, he handed me a rag and delivered his famous line: "If there's time to lean, there's time to clean." That moment at work feels reflective of my cousin's death as a whole. There were no adults guiding me through the grief. Now I know that me and my mom experienced similar emotions. Oh, it was almost like super exhaustion. You know, you couldn't really think. Your head felt cloudy. My head did feel cloudy. I have a physical memory of my exhaustion that week. The rituals of death in my Catholic family felt pretty routine up until this point. An older person dies, maybe a great aunt or a distant uncle. You go to the wake, and it's sad but not tragic. You kind of get used to hanging out in a room with old upholstered couches and a dead body in an open casket. But this time was different. It felt especially cruel when the person lying there was so young. So, walk me a little bit through what you were feeling. Mom cried when I brought up Wayne. He was her brother's son. I'm gonna cry. That's okay. It was hard because my brother had been through so much. She cries when I bring up most things. She's an emotional lady. But mom and I have never talked about any of this until now. Never brought up memories of Wayne. And I remember Wayne was a laid-back and funny guy. He was such a product of early aughts fashion. He wore baggy jeans, had a goatee, and his tips were frosted. Once, a friend of mine pointed to a family photo on my living room wall and said, "Who's the Backstreet Boy?" He felt like an asshole when I told him it was my dead cousin. Through that first week after his death, my mom and dad were living the adult version of things: phone calls and funeral arrangements. I was just a teenager, sitting silently in the back of the car, kissing family hello and goodbye, whispering awkward condolences, and watching the whole thing in horror. It was particularly devastating to see my tough guy uncle cry. August nineteenth. 
It's been a long emotional week with work, partying, on top of Wayne's death, and I got almost no sleep this whole weekend. Today was Wayne's funeral. It was the saddest day of my life. I didn't know what to feel or what I was allowed to feel. I know I went out with my friends. I'm sure I was drinking and getting stoned, but the details have faded into inconsequential nothing. Wayne was not an everyday fixture in my life. So in the weeks following his funeral, it was easy to let the grief drift into a far-off place in my mind. The urgency of the loss faded into something abstract. August 23rd. I still feel like I should be feeling guilty for every second of fun that I have, but I guess that's human nature and I can't help it. Since last week, I haven't really minded the prospect of summer ending. But really, aside from this tragedy, this has been the greatest summer ever. Just because of the freedom. And we just managed to have such a good time. Life is what you make it. And rather than feel guilty, maybe I should just smile more, have double the fun, and think of Wayne. My teenage brain needed a solution to the guilt I was feeling. So I told myself it was okay to fall back into my usual routines and my normal behavior as long as I kept thinking about my cousin. And I did think of him. I do think of him. I was in a major Fleetwood Mac phase when he died. I still cry when I hear beautiful child. But now, that feels like a bit of a cop-out. I didn't like the feeling of guilt and grief, so I gave myself permission to shut it out. I felt so weird about that for so long. Like there was something else I should have done. A 12-step mourning program, perhaps. But I realize now this was a pretty normal reaction to grief. I was a 9-11 teen. It had been less than a year since the attacks. I knew there was a timeline for the immediate shock of grief, and I understood tragedy from a distance. Something terrible happened, and it felt like the world might stop. But it didn't. The laundry piled up. There was homework to do. Our little lives went on. August 20th. I'm beginning to understand the concept of acceptance. Tragedy will strike again in my life. I'm always going to have to deal with it. I'd rather smile for a memory or a thought than weep for a circumstance. I'm a young woman learning to understand. It's such a normal thing for young people to wait for their real lives to start. But I learned at 17 that a future was not guaranteed. I also know now that there is no right way to grieve. And I wish I had someone back then who could have told me that. My parents had each other, and I felt really alone in my anguish. I wish they had known what to say. I wish they had said anything, really. My sister Katie felt the same. Mom and dad didn't know how to talk to us about losing someone so young that way, and we didn't know how to talk to each other. And I feel like it was just, we all sort of like danced around each other that whole week and almost like avoided having to interact too much because it was like once a crack came in and sprung a leak, someone would just lose their shit and cry and none of us knew what to do with that. Talking to my mom about this now made me realize that my parents had no idea how to communicate about any of this. So they just didn't. That's how daddy and I grew up. We never talked about things like that. Um, I think up until Grandpa Keller died, then, you know, I realized what loss really was. So it's just, you know, it's a generation thing. We just, our parents went through the war, World War II, and it was just part of life because obviously there was so much death. So you just dealt with it. 
there was no, you know, discussing. I understand where my mom was coming from, and I empathize with her. But I do think that lack of communication added to my grief. This conversation with her made me think about my relationship with my parents in general as a teenager. I'm fighting with my dad, which I hate. We never fight. But then Katie comes home, and it's like there's too much estrogen in the house or something, and he just needs to fight with someone. It's usually me, and it's usually about the car. Ridiculous, I know, but to me, it's more. I was definitely being angsty in this entry, but fighting with my dad was pretty normal back then. I have plenty of journal entries about fighting with him. In this entry, I went deeper. We've never really known each other very well because unlike my sister, I never really opened up to my parents, especially when I needed them most. I just did my own thing and wrote in my journal. It's sad to see that I didn't let my parents in when I was young, that I wouldn't let them in. It was clear to me even then that our communication barriers weren't limited to Wayne's death. I mean, I did get along great with my mom as a teen. My mom really is cool. I can tell her stuff, like real stuff. It's nice to have such a good relationship with her. No, I did not tell her real stuff. At least, not all the real stuff. I think I wrote that journal entry after she bought me a beer that day. She was cool, though. But there was a hard line between what Irene was comfortable with, like giving me my independence, and what she was not comfortable with, talking to me about sex. Though I know for a fact she was excited when she heard that my older brother's friends called her a MILF. One of their AIM screen names was Irene's Hot. And she was a hot mom. She was also gullible, loved to laugh, and tried so, so hard to give her kids an amazing childhood. She didn't have parents who were capable of helping her navigate her young adulthood. Her own mother lived with a mental illness. So when my mom was 17, she was living with her older sister and her husband's family. I know none of us know what we're doing when it comes to parenting, but she really did have to make it up as she went along. I was always careful about what to share with her. My parents didn't know anything about my love life, or lack thereof. You never really talked about stuff like that, so I could never even help you through it. I didn't talk to you were so, about anything. No, you were so closed. So that's why we probably thought you were so perfect and happy, because you, you never talked about any sad things until Sam. The first time I talked to my parents about anything I was struggling with was years later when I told them that I fell in love with Sam. She's the love of my life, but we met at 19 and got off to a rocky start. I tried to handle it on my own, but I needed their help. I was brokenhearted and confused, and I needed to let them in. Only then did things begin to change between me and my parents. I keep thinking about what my mom said, about the generational differences. My parents are baby boomers. My grandparents lived through the Great Depression. Both of my grandfathers fought in World War II. When it was over, they came home hid their pain, and raised families. Therapy and PTSD awareness were not a thing. So my grandparents stayed quiet, and my parents learned to grin and bear it. And then they passed that on to us. I'm pleased to report that Sam and I are breaking the damn cycle. With our own kids, we've rebelled against that philosophy. Wait, you gotta tell me something about Grandma Penny. First, Mom. First, Mom has to tell you something about Grandma Penny? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Grandma Penny was the world's best tickler because I'm That's our five-year-old Quinn. And Grandma Penny was Sam's mom. She passed away before Quinn was born, but we talk about her all the time. She would snug me. What do you think you would have loved about her? Um, I didn't see her, so I don't know. So why do you miss her? 
Because you told me about her and now you miss her and now I miss her. He's a handful, but he has his moments. Did she go to, the, to New York? I have learned how to open up to my parents. And I have learned how to ask them to open up to me. But man, it is not easy for any of us. And to this day, it can be really scary to reveal myself to them. That's just something I didn't know how to do at 17. Communication is a skill, and it's one I hadn't mastered yet. It's one I may never master. And maybe Sam and I have gone too far in the opposite direction. We talk constantly about feelings in our house. But it feels authentic to saturate our little ones with encouragement. We want our sons to understand that their feelings are valid, that they can talk about them. Holding this stuff in is damaging. My mom understands this now, even when it comes to death. We didn't know. But now when your kids are older, you will know and make sure that you discuss the loss. My mom didn't just realize it's important to talk about death and grief, oh, absolutely. but she's also come around to other uncomfortable topics, like sex. I remember trying to ask you once about like sex or virginity, and you shut that conversation oh, down. Yeah. That was not the kind of parent you were going to be. No, I know. But I should have. I should have been there. Because I certainly lost my virginity when I was 16, so I should have been there for you guys. Wow. I never knew my mom lost her virginity at 16. It would have been great for her to offer me some pearls of wisdom about sex and relationships back when I was a teen. But I'm not angry that she didn't. In fact, I feel bad that she feels bad about any of this, since she gave us everything she could. Okay, this has been a real journey. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you, Mom. Oh, you're welcome. Love you. You're not really allowed to listen to most of the podcast. I wrote in that entry about the fight with my dad that I always turn to my journal as my therapist and confidant. Even when my cousin died, instead of talking to my parents, I only opened up to my journal. I just did my own thing and wrote in my journal. Back then, I just wanted to handle everything on my own. But I wish that I had just tried to express myself to those closest to me. What would it have been like to have someone I could really talk to? I know, I know. Annie and Katie taught me that having a boyfriend wasn't the magic wand I imagined it to be. But there was intimacy missing from my life back then. I just didn't know how to name it. Someone did come along later that year. A boy named Nick, who was kind and funny, and he really understood me. And I couldn't have acted more like a dramatic teenager. This whole situation has had me dealing with feelings that I've never dealt with before, and I have no idea whether to trust them or not. I have great friends who give great advice, but I can't even begin to discuss this with them because I don't know where to start. What's going on? What was going on? Nearly 20 years later and after deep review of these entries, I still don't know. Maybe Nick can tell me. That's on our next episode. Seventeen is an original series from Paradiso Media. The show is written and hosted by me, Laura Lee Abbey, featuring Leia Emanuel as young Laura. It's produced by Molly O'Keefe and Yael Evanor. Emmy Norris is our executive producer. Paradiso's chief content officer is Louis Debussy, and head of production is Benoit Duneg. Brendan Galbraith is our associate producer. Yael Evanor is our editor and sound designer. Additional sound design and mix by Adrian LeBlanc and Jimmy Bardin. Recording engineer is Johnny Taylor from Beacon AV Lab. Original music by Guillaume Zolnirovsky. Our music supervisor is Benoit Dunig. Amy Faconier is our post-production assistant. Stefania Sotil designed our cover art. Special thanks to Irene Seaman and Katie Hicks featured in this episode. To Joey O'Keefe, 
Lucy Michalian, and Jean Boezak. Thanks for listening. <laughs>